Good morning, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> it's always good to get somebody to reply to you, you know. And now if I can just teach them to say amen. <laughs> there you go. We're glad that you're here. We're continuing our study today from Romans chapter 1. We're, we're using Romans 1 uh, as a study of the gospel. And that's what Romans is about. That's Paul's theme. And in the first chapter, he lays out the... Uh, basic concepts of the gospel of Christ, and that's what we're thinking about in these weeks. Next uh, Sunday, we will conclude that by talking about chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, and I uh, hope you can be here for uh, that part of the uh, message as well. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said something that a lot of folks find puzzling, disturbing, uh, just not quite sure what to make of it. And I'm sure the people in Jesus' own day felt pretty much the same way. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the disturbing thing about that is the scribes and the Pharisees were the most notorious, I guess is the best word for it, keepers of the law, the most diligent keepers of the law, the most meticulous keepers of the law in all of first century Judaism. And so how could anybody outdo them when it came to the matter of righteousness? How would that be possible? Righteousness, you see, is serious business because Jesus says we can't enter the kingdom without it. Righteousness is also gospel business. It's part of the good news. And we need to understand the role of righteousness in, this, in the subject of the gospel. Notice Romans 1 verse 17 when he says, In it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So three times the word righteous, or righteousness comes up in that verse. So this is a significant part of the gospel message. But here's the question. If the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, then what does that mean? You might be amazed at the amount of uh, ink that has been spilled over the centuries discussing the subject of the righteousness of God. How does it, what does it mean and how does it factor into the gospel? How is it part of the gospel? Why does Paul say uh, that the uh, gospel reveals the righteousness of God for faith through faith? Well, I want us to talk about that. What does the righteousness of God mean? In Romans, I think it means two, two things that are closely related, but they're not exactly the same. Number one, the righteousness of God describes something that God is. It describes a personal characteristic of God. It describes the fact that God is righteous. God is a righteous being. The Old Testament says it repeatedly, that God is absolutely, entirely unfailingly righteous and just. In Psalm 7, verse 11, it says that God is a righteous judge and one who feels indignation every day. Now think about that. The two go hand in hand. Because he's righteous, because he is perfectly righteous, he feels indignation every day. You ever felt righteous indignation? I think all of us have. We see something that we, we just know is wrong and it's repulsive to us. 
Well, all of our sins are that way to God. All of our sins are repulsive to God because he's absolutely righteous, and so he feels indignation every single day. Psalms 50 and verse 6 puts it this way. The heavens declare the righteousness, uh, his righteousness, for God himself is judge. The heavens declare his righteousness. Righteousness, excuse me, righteousness in the Old Testament is often described in terms of a courtroom. The righteousness of God. God has called for a court, and Israel is on trial, or maybe the nations are on trial, or maybe all humanity is on trial, and God is the judge, and God is right. God is the righteous judge. God is the one who always gets it right. God is the one who never deviates. God is the one who never makes a mistake in the regard to justice. And in Psalms 119, verse 137, The psalmist said, righteous are you, O Lord, and right in your rules. And in verse 142, he says, your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. I think that's why Paul in 2 Timothy 4, when he knew he was about to to face a Roman judge, or had already faced some, some judges, and knew that he was about to die, about to face the executioner, he talked about the crown of righteousness that he said is laid up for him. Because the Lord, the righteous judge, he says, will grant that crown to me on that day. The righteous judge. Not Caesar's judge, not his court, not his counsels. But the Lord, the righteous judge, will grant that to me on that day. God is righteous. But now this poses a problem. If God is absolutely righteous, how can he ever forgive anybody? If he's absolutely just, how can he forgive anybody? It is no more just to acquit the guilty than it is to convict the innocent. And we're all guilty, Paul says in Romans 3.23. So how can he forgive anybody and still be righteous? Now, I want you to understand something here in the language that Paul is using. The word that gets translated as righteousness uh, means both righteousness and justification it can mean both righteous and just it can mean both to make righteous and to justify it's up to the translator to look at the context and decide how to translate it and you'll see that in different passages but it's always the same root word underlying it so when the bible talks about god being righteous it's also saying god is just when it talks about the righteousness of god It's talking about the justice of God. So here's our question. How can a righteous God, how can a just God ever forgive anybody since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Now, last week, we worked our way through Romans 3, 21 to 26. I want us to go back to that, and I hope that you'll have your Bible open to that. Romans 3, 21. Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Previously, the righteousness of God was connected inherently with the law. But now he says the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Then he says in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so we can only be justified, we can only be put right with God, We can only be treated as though we were innocent by God's grace 
as a gift. But still, how is that just? Here's where the cross comes in. That is just, and the gospel reveals the justice of God, the righteousness of God, because he put forth his son as a sacrifice for sin. And in putting forth his son as a sacrifice for sin, the price for sin was paid. Sin was punished. God didn't just say, well, that's okay. All your sins are forgiven. The righteousness of God was upheld. And so Paul says in verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness or justice. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he can be right or be just and be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, the cross represents the perfect blending of God's steadfast love and of God's mercy and his justice. It's the perfect blending of the two. In her 19th century hymn, uh, Beneath the Cross of Jesus, Elizabeth Clefane wrote this in verse 2. O safe and happy shelter, O refuge tried and sweet, O trysting place where heaven's love and heaven's justice meet. That's the cross. That's where God's love and God's justice come together. Still somebody says, but why the cross? Why did Jesus have to die? Why wouldn't God just forgive everybody without Jesus' death? And the answer is simple, because that wouldn't be taking sin seriously. A just God couldn't do that. A righteous God could not do that. Sin is the violation of God's absolute righteousness. Sin is not a parking ticket. You know, we sometimes think of our sins that way. It's like a parking ticket. You can just dismiss it. You can just say, well, okay, that's all right. Just let's let it go. That's not the way sin is. Sin is an affront to God. It causes indignation in God. It has to be punished. It has to be dealt with. And that's why the cross. But the beauty of it is, is that Christ bore the punishment for you. And he bore the punishment for me. And God's justice is upheld. And we are acquitted of our sins. The righteousness of God means that God is righteous. But there's another meaning of this phrase in the book of Romans. The righteousness of God is also, in addition to something that God is, the righteousness of God is a gift that God gives to those who follow his son. You remember Genesis 15, verse 6, it said, Abraham believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. It doesn't say he was righteous. And if you read the story, you know that although Abraham was a, a good man in a lot of respects, he, he was far from perfect. He committed a lot of sins. He did a lot of things wrong, just like anybody else would. So the Bible's not saying that God looked at him and said that he was, that he was right, that he was righteous, but it says he counted, counted it to him as righteousness. He credited it to him as righteousness. And in Romans 4, Paul brings that up, and he says, that Abraham was justified, put right with God by faith. How could that be if he was a sinner? And the answer is because God gave him righteousness. God gave him righteousness. You see, when we have faith in God, and remember from last week that faith means belief, it means trust, it means obedience. 
When we have faith in God, then he gives us righteousness that we don't have. He gives us his own righteousness. The NIV puts it this way in Romans 3 and verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. I love the way Paul puts it in Philippians 3 and verse 9. He's been talking about his former heritage in Judaism and how he had, a, if we were going to talk about the righteousness under the law and, and uh, goodness under the flesh and a good pedigree and all that kind of thing, he said, I can, I can boast of the best of them. You know, I'm a Hebrew born of Hebrews, another tribe of Benjamin, circumcised in the eighth day, all the things that a good Jew is supposed to be. But in verse 9, he says that he counted all things as though they were rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Watch this part. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God or righteousness of God that comes through faith, that depends on faith. I want you to listen to this carefully. Every one of us will stand before God in judgment. And when we do, we have to either plead our own righteousness. God save me. God forgive me. God let me into your heaven. Because I've been a righteous enough person. We're either going to have to plead our own righteousness. Or we're going to have to plead his. And say God I'm not worthy. I never have been. I never could be. But you've given me your righteousness through Jesus. Which do you want it to be? Would you ever in your wildest dreams imagine standing before God and saying, God, judge me on the basis of my merits. God, give me what I deserve. Or do you want to say, God, I have nothing to plead except the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And the righteousness that you give because of him. Here's the good news. God wants to give you his righteousness in place of your own. Why? Because you don't have any. That doesn't mean that we can't be righteous. It would be wrong to say that. Because you, you look in the Bible and it talks about people who are righteous. They lead relatively good lives. They try to do the right thing. We, we can be righteous up to a point. But here's what Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says. It says that all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted or a filthy garment. All of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. In other words, at our very best, the very best that we've ever done, the very best things we've ever done, the very best point in our lives, the very best moment in our lives, when God looks at it, it's like a filthy garment. It's like a bunch of dirty laundry. That's what our whole lives look like to God. In comparison with his righteousness, it looks like that pile of dirty laundry. I want you to listen to this in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. An angel's been giving Zechariah a tour. And in chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. This is a judgment scene. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? God wants to save him, in other words. 
Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure garments. You see what the clothing with the pure garments is about? It's about taking away our iniquity. It's about covering us over with God's own righteousness. Why? Because Joshua deserved it? No, he did not. Because Jerusalem deserved it? No, it did not. Because Israel deserved it? No, they did not. But because God was merciful and these were his people and he wanted to clothe them with that righteousness. That's fine, you say, with Zechariah and Joshua, but what about us? Because Isaiah 61 and verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. No wonder Isaiah was rejoicing. He said, God has clothed me with a robe of righteousness. Here I stand just like Joshua the high priest, filthy. But God clothes me with, with a robe of righteousness. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 30, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He is our righteousness. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul said, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. Not only does he take away our sins, not only does he clothe us with his righteousness, we become the righteousness of God. And you might wonder, well, when does that happen? It happens when you put on Christ. It happens when you turn to him in faith. That's what Paul says in writing to the Galatians. In Galatians 3, in verse 26, he says, We are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And he uses the same ordinary Greek word for put on that you would use for putting on a coat. We have put on Christ. And when we put on Christ, God puts on his righteousness to us. So the righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel is both of these two things. It is God's own righteousness. And it is the righteousness that God gives to each of us because we have faith. That's, that's how your righteousness can exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Because you will then have the righteousness of God. That comes through faith in Jesus Christ. I said earlier that there's been a lot of ink spill discussing the meaning of the righteousness of God. And you might wonder, why is it so important? Why is it so important that we understand this, that we understand the righteousness of God? And let me close by giving you three reasons why it's important. Number one, because if we don't get this and get it right, we're going to believe and preach a distorted version of the gospel. We're going to believe and we're going to preach a distorted gospel if we don't understand the righteousness of God. Let me give you an example. Have you ever heard a sermon where somebody talked about the ladder? 
you know, the ladder that reaches from earth up to heaven, and, and we're to climb that ladder, and we climb that ladder through our goodness, through our righteousness, but we can't quite make it because all have sinned, and we fall short of the glory of God, so we're, we're three rungs from the top. We got up seven of them. There are ten. I know that by revelation. There are ten of them, and we get up seven rungs, but we can't make the other three. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God, so through Jesus, he reaches down and pulls us up the last three. That's a great analogy, except it's dead wrong. It's dead wrong, and here's why it's dead wrong. You not only can't climb most of the way up to heaven, because all your righteousness is like filthy garment, but here's the other part. There's not a ladder. There's not a ladder. It doesn't work that way. It's not about you attaining righteousness. It's about you being given righteousness. The very best that we can do is like a filthy garment. And if it is, then we have absolutely nothing to offer him. We can't climb even that bottom rung. We can't get even up even one step. We can only plead for his mercy and his grace and his righteousness through the blood of Christ. That's what the gospel is. We can only receive what he offers by justification, by faith in Jesus. Remember, when you stand before God, it's either your righteousness or his. It's not a mixture of the two. It's one or the other. Second reason we've got to get this right, if we don't, we'll live our whole lives in fear and in uncertainty. We will always be wondering, did I get those first seven rungs right? And are there really only three more? And have I done enough for God to let me into heaven, into his presence? And what's enough? And how would I ever know? And you'll wrestle with those questions all your life. You'll wrestle with them and you'll never have an answer to them. And yet in 1 John 5 and verse 13, John said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. How is that possible if we can't know where we stand with God? How is that possible uh, if it isn't the case that God gives us of his righteousness? It's only possible when we are convinced that we're saved by his grace, that we have his righteousness in exchange for our own, that we are clothed with the robe of salvation. When you know that, then you can be at peace. When you know that, you can live your life with joy, not out of fear. And that brings us to the third reason why we've got to get this right. If you don't get it right, you'll never serve the Lord with joy and gladness. You know the big problem with the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day? They were always coming at him with all these questions. Lord, will those who are saved be few? Stuff like that. A question Jesus just ignored, didn't even answer. When somebody asked him that, he just he, he said in, in so many words, you better make sure you're one of them, whether there's many or few. When they came to him and told him a silly story uh, about uh, seven uh, men who had been married to the same woman in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? He just said, you know, if you read your Bible, you'd know better than to ask that. They were always coming at him with all this little nitpicky stuff. They were following him around and, and noticing that his disciples were eating, plucking grain, heads of grain and eating them on the Sabbath and criticizing him for that. And that he was healing on the Sabbath and they were criticizing him for that. They were nitpicking everything to death. Why? 
because they didn't believe that they had the righteousness of God. They were not free to be joyful. They were not free to serve the Lord with gladness because they kept trying to think and kept believing that it all depended on how well they kept every one of the rules. And the irony of it is, is they really thought they did. And yet, what did Jesus say? Unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. We want to serve God out of gratitude. We want to do all that we can, not out of necessity, not trying to do the least we can get by with. When I first started preaching, I remember being bombarded with questions by people. They came to me because of my wisdom and my age, 23. <laughs> and they say things like, can you go to heaven if you don't come to church on Wednesday night? And I just looked at them, you know, because I, I didn't really know how to phrase it, but I thought, are you kidding me? That's what you're worried about? That's, that's what you think Christianity is about, is worrying about how many services you, you chalk up? Or, or they'd come and they'd say, can you go to heaven if you don't give at least 10%? Now, I knew the answer to that one, and I said, no, you can't. <laughs> what was the problem there was no joy these were folks wanting to practice minimalist Christianity minimalist faith what's the least I can do and still get into heaven not what's the most I can do to glorify the God who saved me and give me his own righteousness but what's the least I can do and still get into heaven what are the rules lay them out for me where I'll know when I've crossed the line when I'll know that I've gotten just Enough rungs up the ladder that God will pull me the rest of the way up. God wants you to serve him, not out of a spirit of fear and minimalist way, but he wants you to serve him out of joy and gratitude and out of relief. And that only happens when you understand that he has given you his righteousness and therefore you are right with him. You are right with him. Go back to Romans 1, 16, 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to everyone who has faith. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by his faith. Is that you? Is that you this morning? Have you been made right with God by trusting and obeying in Jesus? Have you been clothed with his righteousness? Have you put on his son in baptism, trusting in the power of his blood to redeem you from your sins? All that can happen today. You can be clothed in the righteousness of God. What better thing can possibly happen to you today? Why don't you take advantage of it? Let's stand together and sing.